Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, all right, all right. Hey, I want to go ahead and begin our message this morning. title of this morning's message is Faith and Endurance. Do you like the painting I chose this week? It's amazing. All right, Faith and Endurance. want to share with you a little scripture out of the book of James. We're going to look at four verses out of the book of James. And these are, this is the original material that our call and response prayer was an echo of this morning. That's the reason we wanted to do that. It goes like this. This is a letter from James, the slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers, scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I've had this scripture in my heart for a couple weeks. Just been sort of stewing on it. And finally, I wanted to share it with you this morning. This little scripture at the end of verse 4. James ends this little section with a great promise. It's the promise that you and I could be complete. And that we could be perfect, needing nothing. And what we want to do this morning is we want to start there and then sort of work our way backwards. Quite a promise. Here's what I want to do before we get into that. I just want to tell you about me for a second. Maybe this is, maybe this, some of this stuff that's true about me is also true about you. Um, I'm a daydreamer. Anybody in here a daydreamer? Like, you know, if you've just got a boring job or something, or you're mowing the grass, your brain just kind of goes out there. I'm a daydreamer. I, like, never night dream. I have, like, one dream a, a, a year at night that I remember anyway. I, I never dream at night. When I go to sleep, it's just black, right? But when I'm awake... I'm hardly ever here. So just kind of over here, you know? I'm a daydreamer. And I don't know about you, but sometimes sometimes I, I, I dream, daydream all kinds of stuff. And, and some of my daydreams are like versions of that last little line. Versions of that last little line. I, you probably wouldn't call it that in the moment, but if you sort of like distill it and look at it for what it really is, it, you'd have to admit it's sort of a version of that last little line. Sometimes I sort of let my mind drift off to what I think would be a perfect moment. Or sometimes I drift off and essentially what I'm thinking about is what it might mean to lack nothing. You wouldn't categorize it that way, but if you, if you got back from it or if you got up real close to it and began to investigate it, you go, yeah, that's what it is. Of course, I'm not usually framing it that way, but that's what it is. Here, here's some of the things I daydream about. Maybe, maybe you do too. I daydream about being richer. Right? Man, you know, dollars. Sometimes I daydream about... Actually, this is the one that I daydream about more lately. I daydream about having more free time. Oh, man, if I could just... Like a nap. You know what I need right now? I need a nap. Sometimes I I daydream about traveling to more exotic places. Or maybe I daydream about having the love and the affection of everyone everywhere. You know what I need? I just need people. I need people to like me. Yeah. 
And sometimes I daydream about having a nicer car or maybe a more successful business. My guess is that I'm not alone in some of these things. I play all kinds of if-then games. Maybe you do this too. You know, if this, well, then this would be real. Or if this were, then I would essentially lack nothing. That would solve all my problems. And usually the calculus that I work goes something like this. If I just had more of this one thing, then I wouldn't lack a thing. I'd have it all together. And it's also very, very curious, this sort of daydreaming. It's very curious because uh, the truth of the matter is, I'm already very rich. I'm already very rich. No, I'm not as rich as some people. I'm not even as rich as some people who go to the vineyard. There's some rich dudes here. My cars are old. But if you look at my life and Heather's life in a historic or a global frame, one of the things you have to realize is we're all ridiculously rich. Like the poorest person at our church, crazy rich. You're crazy rich. And so there's this thing. I'm daydreaming about having more, while at the same time I have more than almost anyone who's ever lived in the history of the world. Isn't that weird? I'm ridiculously well off. But here's the, th- the strange thing about it. I'm ridiculously well off, and I'm oftentimes, I'm just living with a profound sense of lack. I don't know, maybe you do that too. And so I continue to work the math like this. I need more to lack nothing. And then I do this terrible thing. I do this super terrible thing. It's called opening my Bible and reading it. And then you come to a passage like this. And it just sort of upends the the equation. Because when you read a passage like this, part of what you see is that James says something that runs really counter to most of my own daydreams and maybe most of yours. James says that it is not the addition of money or fame or promotion or friends or time or security that makes a perfect life. James says... Instead, it's the addition of trouble and trials. Some of us are thinking, wait, what? Yeah. Who would like to sign up for my new perfection program? It costs $100 and it lasts a lifetime. Any takers? I'm just going to get, yeah. No. No takers. Actually, here's the thing. You don't have to sign up. As soon as you're born... You're you're initiated into the program. That's the thing about this program. And look at what James says in verse 2. He says something really, really interesting. He doesn't say, if troubles come your way. He says, when troubles come your way. If you have an actual Bible this morning, and I hope you do. And if you don't, you just like, we'll get you one. But if you have a Bible this morning, you just underline that little part. You know, you could be a super Christian, get a highlighter out and just highlight that part. People look at your Bible and be so impressed with you later. You should highlight that part because it's not if troubles come your way, it's when troubles come your way. And, and that's actually really important. And here's, here's why that's important. It's important because no one is alone in their troubles. That, that's the thing you need to see in it. Everybody in here has probably got some kind of trouble in their life right now. And if you don't, you probably will tomorrow. And, and one of the temptations that we're always in, invited to believe when we're in the midst of trouble is we're oftentimes tempted to think, well, we're alone in our troubles. 
No, that's not the truth. The truth is we are never, ever alone in our troubles. And we know that we're not alone because troubles are universally assured. Uh, some people in this room right now are dealing with like relational strife. Like things are jacked up with your relationships. Other people in this room are, are sick. You got issues in your body and, and maybe you've prayed and they haven't gone away. And even at the end of the service, we'll pray again and hopefully they will go away. But maybe you're sick in your body this morning. Uh, some people here have like real financial problems. And sometimes you have financial problems not because you were a goofball, you know? Sometimes you just have financial problems because it came and got you. And other people here have car troubles. Anybody here have car troubles? Can I tell you something about me? I would rather, I would rather have people hate me and be sick in my body and have financial problems than have a car problem. Like, there is nothing. That is instantly bummer town for me. You know, if the car doesn't start, I'm like, my life's over. Others of us in here, others of us in here, yeah, some people are like, I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm just telling you, I'm a, I'm, your pastor's crazy. I know it doesn't make logical sense. I'm just telling you the truth, right? Other people in here have kids who are off the rails. Like you have a, you have a kid, you, like, you raised them, you, you, know, you, you trained them to be a Jesus person, and then they got to be like 17, and they were like, Jesus is stupid, and I'm out of here. It happens. Can I tell you something? Good parents end up raising kids who go off the rails, and bad parents oftentimes raise great kids. How's that for your theology? Yeah. I love bringing that one up. And some of us here work with literally crazy people. Some of us, our problem here is is that a person at work is insane. And, And they're not going away. Here's the other part. Like, if you quit your job because there's a crazy person, and you go and get another job, guess who the first person you're going to meet? Yeah, a crazier person. Jesus tells a parable. He's like, look, if you get the devil out of your life and you get the house all swept, like if you don't take care of it right, you've got to watch out. Like a devil seven times worse with friends will come and take up your house. Basically works the same way at work. Like if there's a crazy person and you leave the job because of the crazy person, the thing you can be sure you're going to meet, the first person at your next job is a crazier person. I'm speaking from experience. (laughs) Yeah, trouble's an equal opportunity offender. But the good news this morning is that James doesn't put the word if, he puts the word when, and what that means is that we're never never alone in our struggles. Whatever they are. Here's the other thing I've noticed about trials and struggle. I've noticed that sometimes I'm tempted to fall prey to a victim's mentality. Now, before I dig into this, let me just say something about victims and victims' mentality. Um, some people in this room are real victims. Like, there's, there's like, there's like 110 people in this room right now, and there was, there was like, gosh, there was 250 people here first service. Um, with a group that's that big, can I tell you something? Some people who have been here this morning don't have fake problems. They have real problems, and some people who have been here this morning are real victims. Like you've suffered actual real abuse, not just mental abuse, but it's been actual physical, horrible abuse. And, and some people's trouble includes a particular kind of thing. And it's the only word for it is evil. Like you might be here this morning and that might be you. So what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying is that what I'm saying is not that these kinds of troubles don't exist. That's not what I'm addressing because they absolutely do. 
Here's the thing I've noticed in my own life with especially garden variety troubles and even some of the bigger troubles. Sometimes there's a danger of becoming a victim in my own mind. And, and the math works kind of like this. Well, some crappy or some unfair or even some evil thing happened to me. And therefore, always, I'm just going to be X, Y, Z. Some ridiculous, horrible thing happened to me. And now I'm a victim. And so my life is always just going to be X, Y, Z. Here's what you need to know this morning. Even those of us who have experienced real trauma and suffering, you're never alone. You are never alone. James says, not if, but when troubles come. And this includes even really traumatic and evil things. You're never, ever alone in those traumas. I promise you, whatever you're dealing with, if you begin to, if you begin to ask some questions, even here at the Vineyard, there are other people who have experienced the very same things that you've experienced. And you can find people who have come out of it. This is the truth. There's always a way out. Okay. So we're going to face troubles. No one's alone. We don't have to live as victims, and we don't have to be cowards. But you might be asking, well, how, how do we do that? Well, I think James shows us here in the scripture. And it starts in our minds. It's verse 2. It starts in our thinking. It starts in our thinking. And as soon as I begin to say that, some of us in the room might be thinking, oh, great, well, Pastor Adam's going to talk about some whacked out name it and claim it theology. I'm actually not. I'm actually not. And that's actually not what James is talking about either. This is not name it and claim it. Thinking right is not name it and claim it. Some of you are like, what is name it and claim it? It's like word of faith theology. You might be thinking, well, what is word of faith theology? Uh, Anything you see on TV. (laughs) Pretty much any preacher on TV. We're not talking about that. That's not what James is talking about either. Not name it and claim it. Uh, What we're not talking about is Christian denial. Christian denial. So much of like charismatic or word of faith theology is really just Christian denial. What is that? Where we pretend that we're not having any trouble. You know, I'm, I can't, don't speak that over my life. We talked about that last week, right? Don't speak that over my life. It's just Christian voodoo. It's not real. Uh, the other thing is, this means is that we don't have to pretend that everything is perfect and great when things are clearly not perfect and great. Like if you're having trouble, you can say it. It's legal. Here's what James is actually getting at. Look at what he says there. He says, when you have troubles... Consider it an opportunity for joy. Underline that word consider. This is how we know that the first step in facing trouble and trial happens in our mind. Because the word consider means think about it. So James is actually asking us to begin to think about all of our troubles in a brand new way. Think about it in a different way. This is the beginning of being a fully developed, perfect, complete, needing nothing person. The war is always in our mind. Some of us are facing trials and we hear this and we think, well, that can't be right. Like, seriously, am I supposed to embrace difficulty with a smile on my face? Is God looking to make us all masochists? No, because he's not a sadist. When your relationships are strained and you're really sick, God is not looking for us to be happy about our new disease or to thank him for our divorce. Right? It's actually more nuanced than that. The trouble is not joyous, but trouble is always an opportunity. See that word? It's always an opportunity for joy. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like working out. Working out is rarely fun. 
especially the guys that I roll with. They're all first service dudes. Anybody here know Cody Wills? Cody will kill you. How do I know this? Because he's nearly killed me. The things that he does for us at the workout, not fun. Never, never, never fun. We never smile during the workout. No one ever tells a joke during the workout. It never happens. Here's what's interesting about it. It's an opportunity for joy. Why? Because the results are great. I ran a race yesterday, PR'd that joker. Fourth overall. Why? Because I suffered with Cody. That's why. The results are great. Um, Taking the bar exam. We have several lawyers here. Taking the bar exam. Um, Every single lawyer that I've ever talked to about the bar exam says the same thing. It's difficult and it's miserable. But it's an opportunity for joy because it opens the door to a meaningful career. That's the way it works. Having a baby. Here's another example of this. Having a baby. Heather and I have had four. I've been in the room all four times. It's extremely difficult. Uh, any, of these, uh, any of you ladies who have read books about how childbirth is, uh, is simple and it's not really a big deal and there's no pain, uh, let me tell you, it's not true. It is difficult. Difficult. The faces that I have seen, difficult, right? Here's what's interesting. All four times my wife Heather has literally suffered, literally suffered, moaned, suffered, right? And every single time afterwards she has cried and somehow they've been tears of joy. How does that work? It's a mystery. It's a total mystery. Every single time during the delivery, we both cry. She's crying tears of pain. I'm crying because like this is an intense moment. And then every single time afterwards, we're both crying. And they've switched to tears of joy because, man, we got a baby in our arms. What just happened here? This is what James is talking about. All of your difficulties, got to learn how to think about them different. They're opportunities for joy. Well, why can we have joy? Well, we can have joy because trials and trouble have a way of being a test for our faith. Some of you are thinking, Pastor Adam, this still sounds crappy. Well, yeah. But let me frame it like this. Maybe you've noticed that it's only precious things that are filled with potential and possibility that get tested. Think about it for a minute. Anybody heard of that guy? Anybody ever heard of the guy, Elon Musk? I'm sort of fascinated by this guy right now. How, how many people? There's like three people here have heard of Elon Musk. Oh, six people. Great. We're doing great. We're up to six. Okay. Homework. Buy this book. Then do a Google search on Elon Musk. Who's Elon Musk? Elon Musk started out as the guy who basically, basically came up with PayPal made a gazillion dollars, and then he decided to go and do really interesting things, right? So now he owns lots of different companies, one of which is a company called SpaceX. And SpaceX shoots rockets into outer space, and he wants to start a, he wants to start a colony on Mars, and I think the dude's going to do it, right? I'm not joking. He's going to do it, right? Uh, he's also working on, like, solar panels that go on your house, like, so you can just be off the grid. He's an interesting dude. How many of you know that he tests the rockets that go into outer space? Well, let me frame it another way. How many of you want to get on an Elon Musk rocket that's never been tested? No takers. Interesting. What's the point? The point is anything that's precious, anything that's valuable, and anything that opens up the door into a brand new world always gets tested. That's right. Elon Musk didn't just shoot rockets. They tested those suckers. They test them over and over again. 
The next thing that's going to happen in the next seven years probably is fully autonomous driverless cars, right? You're going to be able to get in a car and go anywhere you want, and no one's going to have to press the gas pedal or hold the steering wheel. Right now, in all kinds of cities across America, uh, there are many different companies. Google, Elon Musk is doing this. All kinds of dudes are working out driverless cars. Now, how many of you want to get in, a, get in an autonomous car and take a ride that's never been tested? No takers. Yeah, that's it. Anything that is valuable, anything that's precious, anything that has promise or opens the door into a brand new world always gets tested. You know what else gets tested? Recipes get tested. Why? Because they're precious things filled with potential and possibility, and they open the doors to brand new worlds. And some of you are like, I don't know, that's just food. I'm like, if that's what you think, then you've never been to a good restaurant, my friend. Like, everything gets tested. Athletes get tested. Anything that's of any use gets tested. And our faith is no exception. Your faith... Your faith is meant to be built for the rigors of the wild, wild world. The universe that God's constructed is really good. It is also very, very risky. It is very risky. And so because of that, we need a rigorous faith. It, it, can't, be, it, can't, be, it can't be the disposable throwaway stuff. It's got to be the rigorous kind. And so God has... Constructed a world that requires his children to live with a robust faith. Not only that, but Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says this. He says, our faith, comma, because it is precious, comma, will be tested. Anything that's precious gets tested. And why do we test? Because testing allows for the better version. Anybody remember the first version of the iPhone? Dude, I had the first version. I had it like the week it came out. I'm an early adopter, so when new things, I'm just like, yeah, give me the new thing. When, when the first iPhone came out, it was so infinitely better than anything that had ever been made. Like, we were blown away. Like, you can look at the internet on this thing, you know? Like, the real internet. The New York Times, you know? Uh, you can play all your... All my music is on this phone, you know? This is, this is not an iPod. This is my phone, you know? I mean, I was so stoked on this thing. And the other day, one of the kids found the original, the original dinosaur iPhone. And it's a joke, right? It's a total joke compared to the new one. Why is the new one better? Because it got tested. Testing leads to improvements. Everything that's tested gets better. Testing, trials, trouble, difficulty, they're always doorways into reality. And they deliver us from denial like nothing else I know. What does that mean? Well, here's kind of what it means. Um, I've realized in my own life, it's oftentimes really difficult to trust God with my weakness or my sin or my anger or my bitterness or anything else unless I'm exposed to it in a, ma- in a manner that makes me aware of it. You know what I mean? Like how many of you know that you can be a bitter person and not know you're a bitter person? Or you can be an angry person and not know that you're an angry person? Or you could just be a miserable person and not know you're a miserable person. Or you can be like, uh, you, can be, you can be a sinful person and, and have no clue. Like just because you're not aware of it doesn't mean it isn't true, right? And so the gift, the gift of God to deliver us from false realities or denial land is oftentimes he will inject 
or he has created a universe that allows for great difficulty to come upon us. And when great difficulty comes upon us, one of the gifts of it, even though maybe the difficulty itself isn't a gift, one of the great gifts of that kind of a situation is we come into contact with who we really are. On the day that you find out that you're a sinner or on the day that you find out that you're an angry person or that you're bitter or that you're filled with lust or that any X, Y, Z, on the day you find out, it's ultimately a good day. Here's why. Because God cannot heal your fake life. He can only heal your actual life. So the degree to which we have made our investments into denial land is the degree to which we have in many ways divorced ourselves from the activity of God. He can do nothing about it. If you have no problems, he cannot be an answer. Yeah. It's the gift of difficulty. It seems to me that testing and trial is what activates growth in our faith. When things get really hard, it does a couple things. It reveals what's there, that's what we just said. And if there's real faith there, it'll cause it to grow. Just like an athlete who lifts weights, just like an inventor who tests an idea or a chef who works a recipe. It's by resistance that muscles grow and it's by resistance that planes fly. Planes fly because there's air resistance under the wing. Some of us are looking for ways to escape any resistance in our life. If you, A, you won't. But if you were, all the meaning in your life will go away. Some of us are looking for more meaning in our life. Here's how you get meaning in your life. Take responsibility for your life. And if you want to have a deeply meaningful life, start taking responsibility for someone else's life. This is it. Resistance. Begin to work on something hard. Some of us are thinking, well, what about when we fail? Or what about when we don't seem to grow? Or what about when some of the doubts don't go away? Well, I'd like to say as a pastor that none of those are signs of a dead faith. Faith is not winning every battle. And faith isn't scaling every mountain. Faith is trusting when you're losing. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting when you're losing or trying again when it didn't work out or holding on when the whole world is letting go. That's what faith is. Furthermore, if, if you've become a person who used to have faith and now you've got some doubts, it doesn't mean your faith is dying. How many of you realize that there can be no doubt unless faith is present? It's a little philosophical, but it is absolutely true. It is absolutely true. Uh, and furthermore, every Christian, every Christian, if you do the Jesus thing long enough, you will have a season where you doubt. I told many of you this uh, several years ago. It was six years ago that I had a two-year season where I'm preaching here every Sunday and I'm not entirely sure there is a God in heaven. How about that? That was interesting. That was interesting. Why was I being bombarded with those thoughts? Lots of reasons. But one of them is God was testing out my faith. Some things had become aware. I'd become aware of some things in my life. And they had become trials and they had become trouble to me that lasted for two years. Excruciating years. But the result is I have a faith that is much more rigorous and it is ready for the wild, wild world. Here's the other part. This is kind of interesting too. After two years of deep, deep, deep existential pain and wondering if there really is a God in heaven and secondly, if there is, if he's actually good and dealing with all these terrible questions... After two years of dealing with that, I don't know why I'm telling you. I'll go tell you this story. After two years of dealing with this, I'm thinking there's no light at the end of the tunnel, right? And really, many of the questions that I was dealing with, this has nothing to do with my message right now. I feel like I need to tell this story, though. 
But at the end of at the end of this two years, which was really initiated by a question of hell, um, I'll just tell you this story. Six years ago, Heather and I were in Chicago, and we're holding hands, and we're on Michigan Avenue, and we're at this fabulous restaurant. Okay, and we are drinking wine on a patio on a perfect October day, and the streets of Chicago are filled with people, like everywhere. And I'm holding my wife's hand. And we're not even talking because it's so perfect, right? Like we're just sipping wine and people watching. It's the best thing in the world. It couldn't have been more perfect. And right in the middle of the most perfect moment, the worst feeling and then the worst question came into my brain. And it felt like it was shot from outer space into my brain. Right in that moment, this question came into my brain and it was, are all of these people on the streets going to hell? And I was like, oh, no, I'm not thinking about this today. My wife is here. The wine is great. The weather's perfect. We're not. I just I tried to do one of these like not today, you know, not today. And I, I just did that. And then three seconds later, it just it came right back. It just came right back. It was the it was the 600 pound gorilla. It was immovable. Right. And, and on the inside, my little voice was going, don't, don't tell your wife, you know, <laughs> don't tell your wife. And as soon as I heard that voice, I instantly said, Heather, do you think all these people are going to hell? <laughs> right? This is the first day of our Chicago trip. The next four days we walked around Chicago talking about, are all of these people going to hell? It gets worse than that, right? It gets way worse than that. Because if you, if you believe what I grew up believing in Southern Evangelical Christianity, not only are all those people going to hell, but 95% of the people who have ever lived, who have ever lived and been made in the image of God, they're going to hell too and he's happy about it. That's really the thing. This kicked off a crisis of faith. Tested. So for two years, I didn't sleep at night. Some of y'all remember those days. You didn't know what was going on in my life, but this was going on in my life. <laughs> Jesse knows because she worked for me. Jesse was super concerned about me and cared for me. It was great. I had black circles under my eyes. I lost weight. I couldn't laugh about anything. I was miserable because I thought, great, I'm, I'm the pastor who's leading people, and I'm trying to tell them about a God who has sent most people to hell, and apparently he's happy about it. What? What is going on? So I just lived with it. My faith got so tested at the very bottom. Anyway, two things happened. Two things happened. One day, I'm reading the book of Revelation. One day, I'm reading the book of Revelation. And at the end of the book, at the very end of the book, it, they go into great detail about, this, about the construction of the city. And apparently in heaven, there's 12 gates and they're named for the 12 apostles. And the Bible says that as long as there's light in the city, the gates never shut. And then the next verse says, the lamb is the light of the city and it's never night. Who can do the calculus? What does this mean? It means the gates of the city are never shut. How does that fit with your theology? Right. Um, Some of you are thinking, Adam, do you still believe in hell? Actually, I do. But this is good news. How many of you know it's good news that whatever's going on in heaven and hell, it's not because God is shoving people there. His gates stay forever open. All right. And then about four months later, I'm in my office and I'm doing this thing. I'm trying to pray, but I can't. And I'm doing this thing and I'm sitting in my office completely alone. And I, I have this feeling and I've come to know it over the years as just the presence of Jesus. 
right? And so the president of Jesus comes in my office, and he says, Adam, you remember that thing about Chicago? And I'm like, oh, man, I do not want to talk about this. I do not want to talk about this. Like, the thing I don't want to talk about is this, right? He's like, I want to talk about it. And he says, Jesus, this is all internal. If that freaks you out, I don't know what to say. (laughs) It's all internal, but Jesus comes to me, and he says, Adam, I have a question for you. I'm like, okay. And he says, do you think you're more merciful than me? I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, that's your issue. You think that you're more merciful than I am. I said, busted. Yes, I do. I think I'm more merciful than you. Right? And then on on the inside, I've just felt this voice. And it's, it's the voice of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. This voice said to me, you are not more merciful me than me. And he left. Left. What does that mean? I don't know. God is omnipotent. He's everywhere all the time. But it, it left. The, the immensity, of the weight of the presence lifted, right? That day, that day, I got up off of my couch and all of my existential pain went away. Did I have a better answer? Yes, I did. Here's the thing I can tell you. My faith got tested all the way to the bottom. And here's what I know. That at the end of the day, I am not more merciful than God. This is good news. I know that heaven's gates are forever open, forever open, and that I am not more merciful than God. This is good news. This is good news from the Lord. This is what it means. This is some of what James is talking about. It's a good day. It's a good day when your actual faith gets tested. I hope you don't have to endure that. But if you do, you just have to go with it. You have to go with it. We cannot live in denial land. God can't heal your fake life. He can only heal your actual life. God can't deal with the things you won't confess, that you won't acknowledge or won't see or won't bring up. He can only deal with what's real. That's where Jesus is working. Furthermore, he's talking about perseverance and endurance. God's not looking for superheroes. He's actually just looking for faithfulness. This thing that we're doing with Jesus, y'all, it is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's an ultra marathon. It's an ultra marathon. If you try to sprint the race of the kingdom, you will not make it. You will not make it. A lot of times here at the Vineyard, we get college kids. They're not here yet, but they're about to come back. Probably next week or the week after. There's a few here the first service. Sometimes I meet like college dudes who are super stoked on Jesus. You know, maybe they got saved or maybe they got really touched by the Holy Spirit and they find out that it's all true and they're like super fired up for Jesus. You know, and they've, they've done this Jesus thing real hardcore for a year and they're really sprinting after it. Listen, bro, here's what I want to see. Come back to me in two decades and let's see if you still love Jesus. And if you do, I'll give you a hand clap. Like, it's not one year. This thing is decades. And if you get saved or if you come into some sort of an awareness that God is real and he has a plan for your life, and if that happens when you're like 15 or 16 or 20, listen, people are living to be 80, 90, and 100 years old. There's a good chance that you're going to have to do this for seven decades or eight decades. You cannot sprint the race of life. It is an endurance race. Your faith will be tested Your faith will be tested. But the good news is it develops something that could be shot into outer space and make a moon colony on Mars. That makes no sense. It can make a colony on Mars. I speak for a living. Right? It gets tested. Endurance. 
Last thing, look at, what, look at the, the promise. Let it grow. If you get some endurance, and when it gets fully developed, you'll be perfect, complete, and needing nothing. I want to just underline one thing about perfection here. Because we have all kinds of whacked out notions of perfection in America. James is not talking about the Greek idea of perfection. And you might be thinking, what is the Greek idea of perfection? The one that you have in your brain. That's the one. It's the one, it's the one of like, uh, without any blemish or flaw. Flawlessness. That is not what James is talking about. What he's talking about is maturity. It is not the idea of the perfect ten Miss America. Instead, it's the idea of the wrinkled, kind, and tough grandmother. That's it. That's it. Here's the other thing, too, about going for the perfect 10 beauty. If you go for perfect 10 beauty, you'll never get it because you'll always see the problem. You will never get it. And you can just, hey, take that metaphor and run with it, guys, okay? If you go for perfect 10 beauty, you'll never get it. You'll always see the problem. Girls, if you go for that way, you'll never get it. You'll always see the problem. Uh, And whatever you do get, it's going to go away. Why? Because gravity's going to win. Gravity never lets go. It's going to get your eyelids droopy. It's going to get your eye, and you're going to get some flabby arms. Gravity's going to pull your arms down, going to pull your eyelids down, and it's going to pull your butt down. And then at the end, gravity pulls you down. Like at the end, gravity puts you down. Like no one's going to escape it. Instead, the promise is that we could be mature. What does that mean? means we live from the inside and that kind of stuff lasts forever all right why did i want to even talk about any of this here's why i wanted to talk about all this because we're living in a time of trouble right now i know everybody in here has all kinds of individual troubles that's never going to go away but how many of you would agree with me that something's happened in our country in the last little bit and we're living in some kind of a weird time of trouble right now let me just say something um I have had a ton of conversations with people lately, but this last week, I've had so many conversations with people, young and old. And several of the older people have told me that they have never seen a time like this in our country in their lives. Here's what I think. I think our country's being tested. Okay? Not only that, but more specifically, more specifically, I think the church is being tested. I think the church is being tested. And part of the test is this. Are we going to let fear keep us from being bearers of the good news? This is part of the test. Another way to say it is this. Will we let the way it's always been keep us from imagining the way it could be? I think a lot of people, and I think the church is being tested in this right now. I think the church is being tested in this right now. I also think because of the testing that we have an amazing opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ and people are aching to hear it. People are aching to hear it. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? It's that God is not angry, that he has that he has welcomed the whole world by his son, and whether you are male or female, whether you are rich or poor, black or white, Chinese, non-native, native, it does not matter who you are. God has welcomed you into his kingdom and no one can build a wall, no one can build a fence, no one can build any structure that would keep you away from who you are and being embraced by the, by the loving arms of God. That's the good news. I think our world wants to hear it. And I think a lot of the political winds that are blowing right now are challenging that. And the church is going to find out whether or not we are really courageous and brave 
or whether we're going to shrink and then divest all of our inheritance and give it to the left or give it to the right. Here's what I've, here's what I've come to in these last few years. I will neither pledge allegiance to the right nor the left. No king but Jesus. That's what's in my heart. Why? Because that's where the inheritance is. We sang about it this morning. That inheritance can never be taken away. And I think that's the good news people want to hear. This is being tested. This is being tested. Why? Because it matters. It really matters. Amen? All right. I've stirred up enough trouble. All right. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.